I wanna invite you to pull your message notes out. We are in part two of what I call a heart adjusting message series, something that all of us who have been blessed to live in North County and, and here in the United States, honestly, we should look at this material on a regular basis. We're talking about how do we be rich in what matters most? Not just be rich in wealth, but how can we be rich in what matters the most? And I got the idea for this message series from a book I read from Pastor Andy Stanley, How to Be Rich. And I would encourage you, I only have three weeks to deal with this material. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of this. This honestly should be required reading for every single person that lives in North County. Because all of us, we get so blinded by just the blessing of this community, the, the life that we get to live and the privilege that we have living here, it's easy to get blind to it and forget what really matters in life. And so this isn't how to get rich, this is how to be rich. Like, there's enough teaching out there on how to get rich. How can we be good at being rich? Because you can, I mean, there are bad rich people and there are good rich people. And we just, if we ever become rich, we wanna be good at being rich. And that's why we're looking at this series. So after reading that book, God gave me a number of thoughts based off of the book and things that God spoke to me that I wanna share with you, but I encourage you to pick up a copy, go deeper with it. And if you've missed any of the previous weeks, last week was week number one, encourage you to catch up on our podcast. We have all of the messages available on iTunes, on YouTube, on our website. They build on each other. They are very, very foundational. So let me review. Last week, we began the series by talking about good news and bad news. The good news for all of us here today is we are rich. Like, we're rich. Uh, we, we discovered last week that we are, comparatively speaking, far richer than we ever imagined. The problem is we just don't feel very rich. So if you want to have some fun this week, I would encourage you to go to this website, globalrichlist.com, put in your annual income, and you will see what percent of the wealthiest people in the world you are actually in. Last week, we discovered that if you make an average of $32,400 a year, $32,400 $400 a year, you are in the top 1% of the wealthiest people on planet Earth today. $32,000 a year, you're in the top, you, you are a one percenter, not a 99 percenter, you are a one percenter if you make $32,000 a year. And in fact, if you make $77,000 a year, you're not just rich, you are mega, mega, mega rich. You are in the top 0.1% percent, one-tenth of one percent of the wealthiest wage earners on planet Earth today. The good news is we are rich. Here's the bad news. The bad news is we are rich. We are rich. The good news is we are rich. Bad news, we are rich. And because of being rich, we have, we have this affliction called wealth, and it creates rich people problems in our life. And we all deal with these, especially those of us who live in North County, we've got these rich people problems. Like, I couldn't get my hair appointment Saturday at 10 a.m. when I wanted it. <laughs> rich person problem. They ran out of my favorite syrup at Starbucks. I can't get my pumpkin spice latte today. <laughs> rich person problem. I cannot believe they put pickles and onions on my burger again at the drive-thru. Can't they ever get it right? Rich person problem. Here's one I dealt with this the other day, and I felt so stupid for complaining. I'm on an airplane. First off, I'm, I'm on an airplane. That, that's the first <laughs> clue right there. Like I'm sitting in a chair 
35,000 feet in the air, traveling 100 miles an hour. And the Wi-Fi went out. I mean, it's like, who does that? Why can't they get consistent Wi-Fi on an airplane? <laughs> Rich person problem. But we, we, we last week, we seriously looked at some major problems rich people do deal with. You know, the first is when you're wealthy, it's harder to depend on God. It's harder to stay focused on true priorities. And then lastly, we realized last week that God expects more out of us. Those of us who live in this country, those of us who live in this community, those of us who make more than $32,000 a year, God expects much, much more out of us. Today, what we're gonna talk about is the deceitfulness of riches. Riches will lie to you. Money will lie to you. Money will blind you. It is, it is delusional. It is the deceitfulness of riches. Jesus put it like this. Jesus used this phrase often to try to warn us and protect us. Jesus, in the, in the parable of the sower, talking about you know, sowing spiritual truth in different lives, he said, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. So these are people who hear spiritual truth, but the cares of the world. Like they're so caught up with the life that they're living, the material cares of this world. And he says, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. In other words, people are blinded by money and it hinders your spiritual growth. This is why we said last week that Jesus said it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God than a camel to go through an eye of the needle. Why? Because riches blind you. Money lies to you. It's deceitful. It's deceitful, and it hinders your spiritual growth. And Jesus goes on in Matthew 6 to teach us that greed, when you struggle with greed or materialism, it's the only sin you don't know you have. Like, like you can't see it. You don't know you have it. And I could talk about that all day. We don't have time. You're going to deal with that more in your small group this week. But let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever been to one of those pizza places that after you get done eating your pizza, you go play the games, and as you play the games, the better you do, you get to collect the tickets? <laughs> How many of you, you, you've been to those pizza places before? Like if I could, you know, you say to yourself, if I just get enough tickets, if I can just win enough tickets, then I'm going to get a prize that's going to change my life. <laughs> like, like if I can just get enough tickets. And so you, you finish your dinner and you turn the kids loose and they go over and they begin to play and they're not doing so well. So what do we do as good parents? We move them out of the way and we said, watch the master. And then we take the ball and we begin to bowl and, and we show them how it's done and we get all the tickets and 483 tickets later, we go over to claim our prize. And for 483 tickets, we get one of these. <laughs> Can I tell you, it's the deceitfulness of tickets. So often I tell myself, if I can just get enough tickets, I'm gonna be happy. And then when I finally get enough tickets, all I get is one of these. See, here's the problem. What happens is we graduate and we grow up in life. And we're no longer after those tickets, then we start living for these tickets, don't we? And we tell ourselves, if I can just get enough tickets, if I can just collect enough tickets, then I'm going to be happy, and it's going to change my life, and everything's going to be better if I can just get enough tickets. It's the deceitfulness of riches. So here's the first point today in your message notes. 
The world wants you to serve money. The world, or Satan, the world that we live in, wants you to serve money, wants you to be a slave to money. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. You can't do it. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot. Now, I want you to notice, Jesus does not say you should not. He's not saying this is a bad idea. He's saying it's impossible. You can't do both. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. It is impossible. And I want you to notice, it doesn't say God and power. It doesn't say God and popularity. It doesn't say God and prestige. It doesn't say God and sex. The only thing Jesus ever put on this line was money. Jesus understood that money would be the number one competition for the human heart. There is nothing in your life competing for your heart more fiercely than money. Money is a false God. Here's what money does. Money promises what only God can provide. That's the deceitfulness of riches. That's the lie. Money tells you if you have enough of me, if you can just get enough tickets, you'll find happiness. Money says if you can just collect enough tickets, you'll find security. If you just get enough tickets, you'll find significance. Money promises you what only God can deliver. If you can just get enough money, if I just get enough these, then I can finally buy that thing that will make me really, really happy. I'll finally be able to get the house with the extra bedroom and the home with the bathroom just the way I like it. And I'll finally be able to go out and get that car that I've always wanted, not just any car, but the car with the sunroof so I can drive around town with my head out the roof looking at everything. I mean, can we be honest? Has anyone ever used their sunroof? If I can just get enough of these, then I'll go get that new purse that, that I want. And if I can have that purse, I'll feel so much better about myself because all of my friends will look at me in envy if I can have that purse. I mean, the same is true with security. We think to ourselves, if I just get enough of these, I'll find security. And so you get that big stack of money and everything feels good until that someone you love gets really, really sick. And you realize you're not as secure as you thought you were, the deceitfulness of riches. Now, look, I, I know many people here today would say, I would never serve money. Like, you're not talking about me. You're talking about the people, you're talking about my neighbor. That's who you're talking about. This isn't me. I would never do that. Like, I would never love and serve money. But here, here's the point. If you have ever bought something you didn't need with money that you didn't have to impress somebody you don't even like, <laughs> you're under the power of money. You bought into the deceitfulness of riches. If you've ever cheated on an expense report, if you've ever downloaded a movie or a song illegally, if you've ever told them that your child was under 12 at the theme park because the <laughs> tickets were cheaper. See, you've bought into the lie that somehow money is gonna make you happy. You've compromised your integrity for more tickets. That's what's happened. 
Yesterday in our one-year Bible, we read our foundation text. For those of you that haven't been a part of our church for so long, one of the things we do every year as a church family is we go through the one-year Bible. Honestly, it's one of the best things we do as a church is we read the Bible once a year together. We have a reading plan you can pick up outside. And it's, it's called the one-year Bible. You get a little bit of New Testament, Old Testament, Psalm, and Proverbs, about 15 minutes a day to read through the Bible. Yesterday, our reading was our foundation text in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, for those of us who live in North County, we've got to recognize the fact that we are blessed. We are so blessed. Those of us that make more than $32,000 a year, we are blessed. We're very, very rich, and you have to understand that. And I know it's tough because rich people live in denial. We talked about that last week. We don't like to admit that we're actually rich, but you got to understand the fact that we are blessed so that you understand that this passage of Scripture is actually talking to me, and it's actually talking to you. Here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Like, why would you buy into the lie of money? Why, why, would, you, why would you get blinded by the deceitfulness of riches? Don't, don't trust money. Don't put your hope in money. Money will lie to you. Money promises you what only God can provide, which is so uncertain. Here's what we're to do. Put their hope in God instead. Put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And again, let me say, God does not mind you enjoying the life that you have. He doesn't mind you enjoying the car you drive and the home that you live in. Again, the point of this series is not to make you feel guilty for the way God has blessed you. The point of this series is to make you feel responsible. Because again, those of us that have been blessed have greater responsibility on our life. So God gives us everything for our enjoyment. So he says, command them to do good, to be rich, not just in how much they have in their bank account, but be rich in good deeds, to be generous and be willing to share. So we started last week with the baseline of, if God has blessed me with more than I need, I'm rich. If I, if I personally have more than I could possibly consume, if I have food in my house that, that I have to throw away every once in a while because it goes old and it goes stale and it expires, I've got more than I could possibly consume on my own than I am rich. So that's what we began with last week. Every week, we're going to add a little bit to this. So today, let me say, therefore, I will not trust in riches. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. I'm not going to buy into the lie of money. I'm not going to get blinded by the deceitfulness of riches. Money promises me all this stuff, but money can't deliver. Only God can come through. Why would I put my hope and my trust in money when I could go to the source? So here's the challenge for us. In this chapter, Paul tells us that it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, it does not say money is evil. Money is not evil. Money is just a magnifier. Money just magnifies more of what's inside of you. If you're greedy, money makes you more greedy. If you're generous, money makes you more generous. But he says when you love money, when, when, you, when, when you put your hope and your trust and your love in money, it's the root of all kinds of evil or problems in your life. So what I want to do today is let's look at some of the problems that people go through who love and who trust in money. First, let me give you a test so that you can, that you can figure out whether or not this message applies to you. Uh, and this is what I call kind of a lordship test. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you two statements today. And, here, and you don't have to tell anyone, so be honest with yourself. 
I'm going to give you two statements, and here's how it works. If either one of these statements were true, which statement would create the greatest amount of anxiety in your life? If either one of these were true, which one would create the greatest amount of anxiety in your life? Here's statement number one. There is no God. There's no God. It doesn't exist. It's all a fairy tale. When you die, it's over. When you die, you will never see your friends again. You will never see your loved one again. You will never see your family again. You go back to dust. You're gone. You're done. It's over. There is no God. Second statement. You have no money. You've lost it all. Something happened last night. Somebody hacked your accounts. Your balances are zero. You've lost your job. You've been evicted from your home. You have no recourse at all. Your investments are gone. Your savings is gone. Your possessions are gone. You're broke. You have no money. Now, if either one of those were true, which one would create the greatest amount of anxiety in your life? Now, while you're feeling good about your answer and feeling not so good about your answer, let me, let me give you a different context. You're in the hospital, and the doctor just informs you that you have days, maybe weeks, to live. Now, all of a sudden, your answer changes. Now, all of a sudden, you don't care at all how much you have in your savings account. Now, all of a sudden, all of your hope is in God. All of your hope is in what happens next. So here's Paul's point. Here's what Jesus is trying to teach. If your hope is gonna be in God at the end, when you have absolutely no control over what happens next, then why not put your hope in him in the middle when you really don't have any control over what happens next? So here's the problem that people have. Here's the first one. People who love and trust money never have enough. They never have enough. They're, they're never satisfied. They're plagued with discontentment. They always want more. Here's the thing. The accumulation of stuff is an appetite. And the more you feed an appetite, the more the appetite grows. If you want to shrink an appetite, you have to starve an appetite. So here's the truth of what we've discovered here in America. The more stuff a person has, the more he or she wants. The more you get, the more you want. The more you have, the more you want. You see, rich people, they have this funny problem. You can call it kind of a disorder or a disease, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's just an affliction of rich people. We call it upgrade. And rich people struggle with this disorder called upgrade. Here's what a rich person will do. A rich person will take a perfectly good working car, like a car that runs fine. And, and, and what a rich person, and, and some of you are gonna hear this and you're gonna be like, I can't believe anyone would ever do that. That's crazy. And I know it's crazy. But here's what a rich person will do. They will drive their car to a car dealership. And then they will give the car dealership their car. So now the dealership has their car. Not only that, on top of it, they'll give the dealership their money. So now the dealership has their car and their money. And then they drive away from the dealership 
in another car that does basically the same thing. I know it's crazy, isn't it? It's like you're thinking, who would ever do that? Here's, a, here's another you know, struggle of upgrade. A rich person will go into a kitchen, a kitchen, and a kitchen that, that has you know, cabinets and countertops and a microwave and a refrigerator and an oven and stove, and they'll rip it all out. <laughs> and then they'll replace it all with a countertop, cabinets, a microwave, refrigerator, oven, and stove. I mean, it's just crazy. It's like you're, you're thinking, like, who would ever do that? Like, here's what a rich person do. A rich person will go to a mall. And, and, and rich teenagers are, 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 are this is hilarious. Because and, and, and they'll wait in a line for three hours, which is funny to me because rich people hate waiting in lines. They want everything now. And so they wait in this line for three hours at the mall, at the Apple store. Three hours. And while they're waiting in this line, they will text their friends with their iPhone. And they will text them with their iPhone. I'm at the mall waiting in line to get the new iPhone. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. I know. It's, I can't even, it's just, it's just, just this, this issue that rich people have. Here's what Solomon, the wisest and the richest man to ever live, said about it. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he said, whoever loves money never has enough. Like, it's never enough. Like, I need more. Like, I got to have that. I'm not happy. Like, I need more. And he goes on to say, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? When's the last time you've said, if I could just get a raise, if I could just get a better job, if I could just make more money, everything would be better. They're never satisfied with their income income. See, the same thing will happen to you that happened to me. I shared last week that when I was making $24,000 a year, I said to myself, if I could ever get to the place where I made $40,000 a year, like if I could ever make $40,000 a year, all of my problems would go away. Like, like my, my life would be set forever if I could ever get to that point. And then all of a sudden I got to that point and I realized it wasn't enough. Like I wanted more. I needed more. So here's the big idea. When you start to have a lot of money, something begins to happen to your hope. And many of us don't even see it happening. As wealth increases, your hope begins to migrate to the accumulation of wealth. This is why Paul specifically says, tell rich people, do not put your hope in money. It's the deceitfulness of riches. Put your hope in God who can richly provide all things. Solomon goes on to say in Proverbs 18, the rich, the rich, the rich. Who's that talking about? Let's just, let's just let's figure out who he's talking about first. That's us. That's everyone who makes more than $32,000 a year because you are now in the top 1%. You're a one percenter. The rich, that's us. Let's just, let's just be clear about that. The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. Like, it'll make me secure. It'll protect me from everything. We actually have a word for that in America. You know what word we use for this? We, we say financially secure. So we think somehow 
finances can make me secure. I, could, I, I can cross this imaginary line of being financially secure. They imagine it. They imagine it. Why do they imagine it? Because it's not true. Why do they imagine it? Because it's a lie. Why do they imagine it? Because it's a delusion. Why do they imagine it? Because it's the deceitfulness of riches. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. So here's the point. Here's, here's, here's what I encourage you to get in life. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. And here's the way Paul put it. Paul says in Philippians 4, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I've learned to be content with whatever I have. Whatever God has given me, whatever he's blessed to provide me, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. In other words, I can be good at being poor and I can be good at being rich. It doesn't matter. Whether I'm poor or whether I'm rich, it's not gonna impact my spiritual journey. Because I've learned I can do it with a lot and I can do it with a little. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then he gets into one of our favorite memory verses in Christianity, a verse that all of us like to quote and we all like to use it to our advantage. But can I tell you, verse 13 doesn't work without 11 and 12. You can't have verse 13 without 11 and 12. Until you learn the secret of content, you can't get verse 13 to work in your life. Verse 13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. It's all possible through him, but I gotta learn to be content. So again, we live this life where we say, if I could just get enough of these, if I just collect enough tickets, I'll be happy, I'll be secure, I'll be significant. But it's a lie. And problem number one actually leads us into problem number two. People who love and trust money find it increasingly difficult to give big. People who love and trust money find it difficult to give big. As the stack gets bigger, our generosity takes a huge hit. And there's a disturbing trend in America. Statistics show us that the more money Americans make, the less they give away. The more money that Americans make, the less we give away. As income increases, in other words, the percent of what we give decreases. And this is true statistically in America. Why? Because as, as you increase your wealth, you have all of these, but what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? And can I tell you, this is why wealthy people are less generous than poor people. This is why poor people outgive wealthy people every time. Because poor people are not putting their hope in wealth. Poor people aren't putting their faith in riches. They're not trying to save their way to security. A poor person doesn't believe the lie that somehow this $9.76 will change my life if I can hold on to it. See, a poor person doesn't buy into that. The problem is we think there's this magic number out there that if I can get to this magic number, I will be financially secure. It doesn't exist. Let me prove it to you. This week when I was working on the message, I looked into all of your finances. <laughs> and, and here's what I discovered. So I'm going to give you a question and then I'll give you the answer based on what I've discovered about all of you here today. Here, here's the question. How much money, how much money would you need to secure your future against all imaginable eventualities. Like how much would you need personally 
to secure your, to, to feel financially secure against all possible eventualities. You know what the answer is? Here, here's what I discovered after looking into your finances more than you currently have. <laughs> and can I say that's always going to be the answer? Even if you cross that imaginary line, this will become the new answer for you. It'll always be the case. You cannot save your way to safety. As you become wealthier, your hand closes around what you have. And the issue is not how many dollars you give away. The issue really is all about percentage, percentage. I mean, think about it. Do you really believe the God who created the universe, the God who hung every star in the heaven, the God who has so much gold at his disposal, he's using it to pave streets? Do you think that God would ever be impressed with the size of a gift anyone on earth could ever give? See, the only reason we're impressed is because we compare it to what other people give. See, Jesus teaches us that God is moved by, impressed with, and interested in percentages. One day, Jesus is at the temple during a worship service, and people were coming by the offering box, and they were, they were giving money. And Jesus notices something. He, he points it out to his disciples, and then he makes a short statement that is so powerful. If you understood it, it would change your life. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting in their money. Jesus watched them putting in their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. And these were large amounts. I mean, Jesus wouldn't say large amounts if they weren't large amounts. I mean, they, they obviously were impressive to somebody. So all these rich people come by, they throw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. It's the widow's might. Actually, when I was in Israel a couple years ago, I went to an antiquities dealer and I bought one of those coins that were actually in circulation during the first century. We got the certificate of authenticity. I bought it for my wife. They turned it into a necklace. And this is actually a widow's mite. This would have been one of the coins that the woman dropped in. It could be the exact coin she dropped in. We have no idea. We just know it was in circulation during that time. And this coin was so small that it wasn't even in the Greek or Roman currency. This was, it, was, it, was, it was 1 128th of a denarius. A denarius was equivalent to a day's wage. So this was about six minutes worth of work. I, mean, I want you to understand how small this is. And she puts two of these coins in the offering plate. And Jesus says something that is so powerful that if you would allow it to permeate your thinking, you would never look at money the same again. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more. More. She put more into the treasury than all the others. She was richer to God than everyone else. Yeah, but that guy put in $1,000. She put in more. But Jesus, this guy over here, he just put in $10,000. She put in more. This guy just offloaded Apple and Google stock. She put in more. And you ask, well, how can it be more? Because Jesus says the amount of zeros at the end of the gift don't move me, don't impress me. I'm not, I'm not impressed by the size of a gift. I'm looking at the percent. And this is why poor people always outgive rich people. They always, in the kingdom of heaven, it's all about percentage giving. It says they all gave out of their wealth. 
But it, it didn't hurt them to give what they give. Like they, had, they had it. It was extra. It was surplus. It was easy. She, out of her poverty, put in everything all. The word all is a percentage word. It means 100%. She put in all she had to live on. This is what Jesus is teaching us. It's what Paul is leveraging through Timothy. Here's the point. Rich people should give larger sums and higher percentages. They should give larger sums and higher percentages. This is Paul's point. Don't be average generous. Anybody can be average generous. Be above average generous. Go, go beyond. See, what happens is when, when you're rich, you see a lot of dollars going out because you're giving to this and you're giving to this and you're doing that. And, and somehow, because you're, you're always giving something, you assume that you're generous because you see a lot of dollars going out. But you gotta ask yourself, how does Jesus see it? Because Jesus may be looking at you thinking to himself, you're not generous, you're greedy. If you don't think in percent, you don't know. You don't know. So he's saying be above average giver. As the stat gets bigger, what typically happens is the percentage we give gets smaller. But as the stat gets smaller, the percentage people give gets bigger. And I know some people tend to think, well, when I get out of debt, I'll give. Or when I get a better job. Or when I get that raise that I've been waiting for, then I'll learn how to give. No, let's learn to give now. Let's be known for our generosity. In fact, if you want to sum up Christianity in two words, if you want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, like you're here, so you're obviously interested in what it means to follow him, I could sum it up in two words, give and forgive. Give and forgive. That's what it means to be a Christian, because if you want to be a Christian, you're going to have to do a whole lot of both. You're going to have to forgive a lot of people, because there's a lot of people out there that's going to hurt you. And you're going to have to give because it is a mark of a New Testament Christian, our irrational generosity. See, but the problem is when we love and when we trust money, we, we find ourselves unwilling to give. We find it difficult to give big. And let me say, we don't serve money. We serve God. Money, money actually serves us as we serve God. We use money to bless other people. We use money to pay bills. We use money every now and then to enjoy with our family. But money is there to serve us. So let me give you the last one before we close. People who love and trust money, they have money in the bank, but no peace in their hearts. And this sits close to home here in North County. Because we have a lot of people in our community, they got a lot of money in the bank. But they got no peace in their heart. A lot of money in the bank. Or, 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 or we could say toys in the garage. We could say clothes in the closet. But there's no peace in their heart. This is why Solomon said, it's better, better, better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than to have great wealth with turmoil. It's better. It's better. It's better to have a little bit with a whole lot of God than to have a whole lot of stuff and none of God. It's better. Better to have a little bit with a lot of God than to have a whole lot with no God. So the question is, is wealth ever a blessing or is it a curse? Is it a curse? You know, I had a, a friend that I helped bring to Christ a number of years ago and he was probably 
older guy, probably the wealthiest person I, I personally have ever been around. I mean, he, he was worth not millions, but the, the B one. I mean, he owned airports and resorts and country clubs and sky rises and hotel, like just, just unbelievable wealth. Like, like honestly, never, never been in that type of world. But God used me in his life to help bring him to Christ and begin to disciple him. And I was with him at his home in London a number of years ago and got up early one morning and was heading down to join him for breakfast. And God just broke my heart for him just really broke my heart because the guy had everything and he was miserable. Like he was never happy and he had it all. Like everything everyone dreams and, and he just he was never happy. And I went down that morning to breakfast and uh, his name wasn't John, but we'll just call him John for the story. I said, John, I said, I want you to know that I love you for just you. I said, I love you and, and, and I don't want anything. Like, and I never let him give me anything because I never wanted to cross that line. I said, I love you for just you. I said, the problem with you is you're never gonna be a man. You're always going to be the answer to somebody's problem, the miracle to somebody's need. You're never gonna be a man. And I just want you to know I love you. And he began to cry. And he grabbed me and he hugged me and he kissed me on the cheek and he said, nobody but my mother has ever told me they love me and meant it for just me. He had a string of failed marriages. He has kids that want nothing to do with him. They just want his money. I mean, you have no idea how difficult it is to live with that type of wealth. And I know what most of you are thinking right now. Most of you are thinking to yourself, yeah, well, why don't you give me that problem and we'll see if we can't figure it out. <laughs> like, am I right? Do you know why you're thinking that right now? Here's why you're thinking that. You honestly don't believe that it's better. Let's be very honest. You honestly don't believe it's better to have a little with a whole lot of God than to have a whole lot with no God. You're under the influence of money. Some of you make more money than your parents ever made and you're miserable. You're financially strapped. And you make more than you ever dreamed of making. And the reason is you consume it all. You think it's all for you. So you spend it all. And if you make more, you consume more. And there are people sitting in here today who make a fraction of what you make and they're not financially strapped and they can't figure out why you have so much pressure. And the problem is you think money is the answer. You think you just need to get more money and if somehow you get more money, your problems will be solved. Can I tell you, Jesus never told anybody in the New Testament, you just need more money. Jesus encountered a lot of people who had problems and issues. Not one time did he ever give the advice, you just need to get more money. If somehow you'd get more money, you'd be okay. He never said, the answer is not more money. The answer is always more of Jesus. More money will not give you a better marriage. More money will not heal cancer. More money will not get somebody off of drugs. It's more of Jesus makes all the difference. So let's go back to the opening statement. I will not trust in riches. I'm not gonna put my trust in riches. It, it lies. 
Money will lie to you. Money will promise you all this stuff that only God can deliver. Why would I put my, my faith and my trust in riches? But I'm gonna trust in him who richly provides. I'm gonna put my faith and trust in him who richly provides. And, and let, me, let me just leave you with this verse. Isaiah says, you will keep in perfect peace. And some of you desperately need that right now. Because you haven't got a good night asleep in a long time. You got so much anxiety and so much stress and so much financial pressure in your life. But the promise is you, you can have perfect peace if you want it. But here's the key. All who trust in you, you can't put your trust in money. You can't look at money as being the answer to whatever it is you're facing. You gotta look at Jesus as the end. You put your trust in him and you'll find perfect peace. Instead of consuming it all, we're gonna learn to live beneath our means. Instead of being blessed with so much and giving so little, we're gonna learn to give like rich people. Because we're not just gonna be average rich people, we're gonna learn to be good at being rich. We've been blessed. So let's be good at it. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? Before we leave today, that, that statement for some of you hits home. And, and maybe money is not what you're putting your hope and your trust in, but the reality is your hope and trust isn't in Jesus. You've never surrendered or given your life to Jesus, given him total control, put him in charge. Again, it may not be money that you're serving, but it's not Jesus. And before you leave today, I wanna say the greatest decision you will ever make is to give Jesus your life. Put your entire faith, hope, and trust in him. Trust him with your life. Give him every aspect of your life. And I wanna pray over everyone, and then we'll give you a chance to respond to that here in a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus. God, this is a challenging message. It stings. God, it stings. It stings me. I get so blinded living in this community. I get so caught up, and at times I've bought into the deceitfulness of riches, God, and I, I, I need this to readjust my heart, to realign my priorities, to, 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 get, to get me woken up from just the delusion of money that I find myself in. So God, I pray that this series would do that for all of us here today, Lord that we would realize how subtle it is. As, as, as Jesus showed us in Matthew 6, so many of us don't even know we struggle with it or we're blinded to it. How great is that darkness? So wake us up, God. Let us focus on true priorities. Let us, let us believe that you are enough and live as you are enough. Let us give larger sums and higher percentages. Because you're not impressed with the size of a gift. You're, you're looking at the sacrifice. You're looking at the percent of it. So let us understand how you view it. We thank you, Jesus.